I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, by the time you're hearing this anyway, I'll be on day three of, was it self-quarantine? What is it? Work from home day? What do they call it? Social distancing? That's what they call it here in Maryland. Uh, I'll be on day three of social distancing and I um, have watched so many things, but the thing that I've, I'll tell you why I watched so many things, but the thing that I want to talk about is the new Pope. I finished it. I wonder if you have too. I wonder if you, if you're home um, or if you're working from home, I wonder if you watched it too. Okay. So, um, Last week, I thought things were going to be cool. You know, the universities were closing down. And again, this won't be a huge rant about, well, not again. I'm telling you now that I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, social distancing and, and all of the executive orders and stuff like that that we're under because I guarantee wherever you're listening from this uh, to this episode from, you are... Um, part of a social isolation plan yourself Um, because what we know is COVID-19 has spread and it is everywhere. Um, So anyway, I wasn't expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but anyway, we're here now. And anyway, if I'd have known, if I would have been a thinking person, um, I would have planned out, you know, my work from home balance versus Let's catch up on all the stuff you've ever wanted to watch or get a plan of all the good stuff you want to watch in this period. Um, Because I don't know where you are, but in Maryland, we are under a two week sort of let's just lay back and chill and, and stay away from people, specifically stay away from our older folks and folks who are immune compromised because you're germy and get away from them. So um, anyway, so had I known had I been more, had I been more prepared instead of, in addition to getting food and supplies, I would have also gotten myself organized because what has ended up happening is I have been bouncing back and forth through programs. And I'm gonna be honest with you, a couple things I couldn't get through, couldn't get through on my block. I tried, I really tried on my block on Netflix. Um, you know, everybody was talking about how good it is. And I just, I'm not into teen dramas. I'm not. I wanted to make it happen so bad. So bad did I want to make that thing happen. But, honey, the storyline was just, oh, my goodness. The, the, oh, I just couldn't get through it. So I think I watched maybe, if the, if the, if the series, if the season is 13 episodes, I must have made it to maybe seven before I was just like, I can't, uh, enough. Uh, Give it a rest. Anyway, and I was really trying to make it to season two, but that's not going to happen. So I thought about for two seconds watching, um, what's that, what's that show at first sight? What's that show? Not, um, that Netflix show that everybody's talking about. Um, you know what I'm talking about? That, that, uh, married at first sight, not the, oh, I can't call the name of it anyway, but it's got a bunch of couples on there and it recently, um, caused a lot of, there was a lot of controversy surrounding it because, um, one of the couples that got engaged, um, the 
guy came out that he was bi and apparently his fiance he didn't she didn't give him the reaction that he was looking for or something like that I'm not really sure but anyway there's a controversy over you know I don't really know what the conversation is because it seems like of the people who watch it it's going kind of two ways on the one hand it's like oh he should have been more upfront and told her before he proposed and she said yes that he was bi so that she can have an option to that she could just be more aware of what she was walking into um which is a weird comment but I'll put a pin in that and then the other one was oh he um she needs to be more oh well no what what is the comment oh oh the other comment was that he she did not give him it seemed as if folks let me let me backtrack it seemed as if the couple uh that in question where the guy is by when he told her his fiance she didn't either it, it seemed as if folks thought that she didn't give him the reaction he was looking for so he like went left and when I'm saying went left he like blew a gasket right and he blew it out of proportion the situation um so it's TV so I get drama um what we know about this particular couple is that the guy who proposed he was on the Real Housewives that franchise at some point being extra on that show too so Maybe this is a part of his come up. I'm not really sure. Maybe this is just uh, an opportunity. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably just an opportunity for him to get more exposure. But then that, that let's go back to that first point that folks made um, where it was a good discussion. I was listening to Marsha's Plate, um, the podcast Marsha's Plate, and they were talking about the discussion of when should you tell people your sexual preference um and Marsha's Plate if you don't know so Marsha Marsha's Plate is named after Marsha Johnson who was a famous uh trans black trans uh activist in the 70s 70s let's call it the 70s and um was very influential and kind of uh, when she she passed she passed away under mysterious circumstance and circumstances and has recently within the last oh three to five years definitely risen to um, her memory has been evoked again as being a leader in the trans movement in New York um, but not just trans it's but okay we'll just go with trans movement um, in New York trans visibility and all of that so uh Marsha's Plate is is the show's namesake and or is uh, is references uh Marsha P. Johnson and the every the uh three co-hosts on the show are trans people um anyway so the conversation there was you know almost akin to well when do you I, I kind of liken it to when you would tell a person if you were trans that you were trans like when is the appropriate time to do that and their argument was well you do that when things are getting more serious you don't do that in the beginning because you don't know how they're going to behave um but in this context of course the thought was again if you don't know the premise of okay shoot i'm gonna find the name of that doggone show hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna find it hold on give me uh it's 
Oh, love is blind. Oh, there it is. Love is blind. Anyway, so the premise of love is blind is that you've got these couples, you've got these pairings, I'll say. You've got these pairings um, and they go on speed dating in the very, they speed date in the very beginning um, to see who they want to be linked with. And the catch is if you want to be linked with somebody, then you propose. The guy would propose, which is very... Anyway, the guy proposes and the girl decides whether or not she's going to um, accept. These are heterosexual couples. Anyway, um, so the catch is that when you're doing the speed dating, you don't see the person. So ultimately, if you click with a person, you haven't seen them. You're clicking because you had great conversation. And some of them has have, from what I understand, they've had hours worth of conversation. And at the end of that... They decide, bam, let's get in, let's get married, and they both say yes. Okay, so it's at the at the point at which they see each other is when the couple that that I'm talking about, when the guy shares, oh, by the way, I'm bye. I've been in relationships with men and women, and then the you know everybody had comments, um, and and Marsha's plate was like, they maintained in the context of that show, of course. During that long conversation before in the engagement, he should have shared that information. That's an intimate part of him. Again, this is supposed to be accelerated dating um, in the show. But let's be real. It's a show. And the reality of it is it's a very good question. At what point do you tell people something that is vulnerable? At what point do you make yourself vulnerable to a person that you are seeing? What's the litmus test for that? I submit that it really just depends. It depends on the closeness you've established with that person. It doesn't really matter about the time. It matters about the closeness closeness you've established. Now, what I would say is please don't spill your heart and soul and your deepest, darkest secrets two weeks in, right? But in terms of, you know, six months, a year, it it depends. I would definitely say, though, you really ought to think about... (coughs) sharing deep things with them prior to a long-term commitment. And I'm not saying um, who you're attracted to and who you've had relationships with, because let me go back to that pin that I just put in there. Marsha's Plate also said uh, that the co-host at Marsha's Plate also mentioned a very great point. Who, excuse me, who cares who you dated before you dated me? You dating me right now and how I love, I live, I love and enjoy monogamy, right? So I don't really care who you dated before. You're not dating them now. You dating me. So why should it matter? Why should it matter who you dated before? The, 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 the gender of the person that you dated before shouldn't matter. Again, I understand that this is TV, but it sparked a conversation that was kind of weird for me. Um, Kind of weird for a lot of people, too. But um, nevertheless, it was an opportunity for me to just kind of remind myself, kind of ground myself further and learn a little bit. Because I never thought about talking about your past relationships with a person. I mean, you talk about them, but like... To the extent that you get an understanding of what that person is like in a relationship, not who they dated. I don't care who my husband dated before. Honestly, that 
so the only time I should know who you dated is if you, I'm going to run into them and it might be weird or you need to prepare me because they might say something like, oh, back when we was together, blah, 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 blue. You know what I mean? Like that's the only reason why I want to know me particularly. That's the only reason why I would care to know who you dated. Because let's be real. I don't think I've ever introduced I have never in my whole life introduced my husband to anyone that I've dated. Why? Because they are no longer in my life. No, that's just me. When I ended relationships, I ended relationships, cut it off cold turkey, um, because that was who I was at the time. It's not who I am now. But but again, like that's irrelevant who I dated unless you need to prepare me or I need to prepare you for an encounter with that person. Um Mm-hmm, that's really the only reason. So anyway, I, even though that conversation was interesting, I still don't want to watch that show because I think long-term commitment is so sacred to me. Marriage and long-term commitment is so sacred to me. I don't want to watch it on a TV show being mocked. I don't. I know it's not sacred to a lot of people, but it's sacred to me because um, that's a lifetime commitment you are spending a lot of time, energy, a whole lot of time and energy on a person and you expect them to do the same for you and you're going to go through a whole bunch of ups and downs and things like that. And to enter into it lightly for a TV show, I think is hilarious. Actually, it's not even hilarious. It's boring at this point because haven't we been here before? Haven't we been here before? Like, don't they have Married at First Sight on ABC or some junk like that? Anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole. So anyway, but I didn't I didn't watch Love is Blind so much as I listened to other podcasts talk about aspects of the show. And I was on Twitter and Twitter talks about it a lot. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so didn't watch that show. Then I tried to watch. I did watch somehow or another. Don't tell. I can't explain to you why. But I watched uh, Project Runway season, the 2010 season. Whatever season that is, it was the one that was airing in 2010 or was being filmed in 2010. Anyway, I watched that season and let me tell you, I do enjoy a competition show. I do enjoy that. You know that. I've, I've talked about this. If you listen to any, a, a couple of these episodes, I have at some point talked about competition shows. I think the last, a couple, maybe, I can't remember, but uh, four or five episodes Back, I talked about this fashion competition show that I just thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, no, 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 it was makeup. It was makeup. Can't call the name of it, but anyway, it was makeup. Maybe I talked about it. I can't remember. But anyway, I love competition shows. Um, and body paint. Oh, there was paint, paint wars or whatever. I love that stuff. I love competition shows based on talent because I just find it interesting. Um, what a person can create under pressure. So anyway, so of course I'm drawn to Project Runway. Ooh, I am tongue-tied. Anyway, uh, drawn to Project Runway, and I ended up watching the 2010 season. Anyway, can I just tell you, there's something about competition shows that put people in a bubble, and under pressure, certain aspects of your personality come out that maybe you hid before, or maybe, maybe are exaggerated. But some of these people look real funny in the light. And I wonder, I wonder on some of these competition shows, if a person looks back and say, ooh, I was not a great person or ooh, I was not my best self in that moment. 
because there is a person on that show on that season called Gretchen. And there's one called Ivy. There's a girl. There's a woman called Ivy. and There's a woman called Gretchen. And there's a guy at the very beginning who's from Boston and he's odd and he's says some gross stuff. And the guy from Boston, basically, he makes a comment about the body of his model and and the fact that she doesn't have a bra on while they're changing and it's hard for him to pay attention. And I'm like, but you a professional. So why should that be hard for you? Is this your first model? This your first this your first time being in front of a model. So there was that weird comment. And then um, Ivy and Gretchen, they were just mean people. Mean, 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 mean people. And Gretchen was very manipulative at one point. And if you've ever watched um, the show, Tim Gunn is on that show. And, you know, he's the guy that does most of the work with the designers um, while Heidi Klum and, and other people judge them. Nina Garcia and um, Michael Kors judge them, or at least in that season. And anyway, um, yeah, this the girl called Gretchen, she was, woo, it was a trip. And anyway, that, that whole season ended interestingly. And of course, the person that I really didn't want to win, but then I kind of did want to win because of their backstory, ended up winning um, but at the end of the day, does it really matter who the person, the win, who the winner is? Because at the, at a certain point, don't you find that like the top, the top, like four or five of a competition show end up being booked and busy anyway. So yeah, the instant gratification with the money and the prize comes to the grand prize winner, right? But like everybody else, they still get a come up because they lasted so long and, and they had so much screen time, right? So it's like, I don't feel bad for the people who didn't win because, you know, they won anyway by being on the show so long. Um, but anyway, I fell down that rabbit hole and enjoyed it. But the last thing that I came to was the th- th- something that I had been watching off and on for these last couple of months. And I finally finished the season two, which is, is it season two or is it just, it is season two, but it's called something different. So, uh, HBO's the new Pope, um, starring Jude Law and a bunch of other people. Um, mostly Italian um, actors. Anyway, this show is so interesting and bizarre and irreverent and over the top and alluring at the same time and ooh, kind of sacrilegious too. Um, but actually, if you think about it, it's like, I'm not a Catholic. I wasn't grown up. I didn't grow up Catholic. I don't have a ton of Catholic friends. I only have like a couple Catholic friends. And so from their perspective, I've been able to glean a little bit of information of what it's like to grow up Catholic and, and the Catholic church. But I, I live in Baltimore as many Catholic churches that are around here. And even the Basilica, which is the oldest Catholic church in the country, um, I still don't know much about Catholicism. And so this show... I'm smart enough to realize that this is just an exaggeration of some of the lives and stories of people and, and, and machinations of, of people who said, you know, what if 
this happened to the Pope? What if the Pope was this? What if this scenario happened? And anyway, so I, I take it with a grain of salt. I think it's a lot of fantasy, but it's also a lot of fun. And, and there's a little bit of learning in there because you're, you're learning about certain aspects of the process when it comes to picking a pope, when it comes to making a person a cardinal, what the duty of cardinals are and stuff like that. And, and, and who's around, you know, the cabinet of the pope and things like that and how, uh, you know, business is conducted, their relationship with Italy and, and, and all that stuff. And, I just think that's interesting while you're listening to this fantasy. Um, And so the first season ended and Jude Law is the new pope, right? So we, I think I've talked about season one. So season one is the pope. It's called, it's entitled the pope. And at the end of the, it's basically the genesis of the journey of Jude Law's character, Lenny Bellardo, going from a... Um, an American bishop, I don't know his title, but an American bishop all the way to becoming Pope. Um, and so he becomes Pope and then he starts shaking the table. And so that kind of goes through his ups and downs of finally settling into becoming the Pope. And at the end of it, he has a heart attack. He He's addressing the crowd. He's also got family. There's an interesting family dynamic where uh, Lenny Bellardo, Jude Law's character, is an orphan, but it's an orphan by choice of his parents because his parents literally gave him away um, and gave him away at an age where he was aware of who his parents were. He was like, looked like, looked to be like nine or so. And so throughout that first series, you know, Lenny Bellardo is dealing with that baggage. Um, anyway, uh, uh, Diane Keaton is in there, too, as a nun the nun that took him in um, after his parents abandoned him. And anyway, so there's interesting plot points there and, and all of that good stuff. And, but at the end of the journey, Lenny Bellardo has a heart attack and, and Diane Keaton, who plays Sister Mary, is he has shipped her off to be the head of an orphanage in um, some remote town in an African country, right? So they're separated. Um, and... He has a heart attack and we're left thinking, oh, shoot, what's about to happen? Maybe he's about to be okay. And so the second season, which is entitled The New Pope, enters and it opens this whole new story and kind of takes you on a very wild ride very quickly. And then it just keeps twist, keep twisting and turning, twisting and turning. And then it ends in this very spectacular way that I think is it's kind of interesting um, and I'll get into that in this next piece. But yeah, um, if you haven't watched The New Pope, I suggest that you do. Um, There's going to be tons and tons of spoilers um, because I'm really interested in the show. So um, just take note of that. And yeah, so the next segment will be all about The New Pope. Okay, so if season one, um, which was called the new the the Pope, if season one was about um, Lenny Bellardo's journey to becoming the Pope and then settling in and kind of leaning 
instead of going all the way to the right in terms of cleaning up house and, and, and being too strict um, with the bishops and all the people in leadership and also dealing with a form of idol worship or yeah, a little bit of idol worship because the thing about the thing that is, is a through line between season one, which was the Pope to season two, which is the new Pope is that everybody finds Lenny Bellardo so beautiful and they want to take him down because he's young and he's, uh, full of life and people are just attracted to him. And so that's the, there's a point where Lenny comes off as arrogant. Um, you know, there's a point where people are in the first season, sometimes just sit with him and are quiet because they're just staring at him because apparently his face is so lovely. And Jude Law, the actor is a handsome actor, but like it's a lot. Um, anyway, but they really play up the fact that he's he's handsome and Lenny Bellardo comes across, Lenny comes, I'm tired of saying his full name, Lenny comes across as arrogant. And so there's a, there's a lot, that there's like the, the underpinnings of idol worship and, and even and Lenny himself doesn't um, subscribe to it um, in any way. Sister Mary, um, who comes with him, and in many ways, um, Lenny, Lenny puts her in a, in a place of, um, in the first season, puts her in a place of power to support him. Because again, this is the woman that took him in when his parents abandoned him. Um, she even talks about, and this is a through line through the first season, how he himself has healing powers, um, divine inspired healing powers. Um, and she had witnessed this miracle of him um, praying so hard to God that one of his classmates' mother, who was on her deathbed, was healed. And she considers it to be a miracle. And when she calls Lenny Ballard, Lenny a saint, she really means it um, in the Catholic sense as a he harnessed the power of Jesus and was able to heal this person. And so, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on in the first season, right? But it's all focused around Lenny coming into himself as Pope and finally settling into who he is as a person, letting go the hurt of being abandoned by his parents, um, which the underpinning of that is he strived to become the very best him that he could possibly be so that he can somehow attract his parents. And, and, and at the last episode, we do see his parents or, you know, with this particular director, um, I can't call his name just now, but anyway, um, the, the particular director of this series, hold on, let me go to it. Let me go to it. Um, Paul Sorrento, Sorrentino, I guess his style is, is not to beat you over head, over, over the head with the point, but for you to kind of, to infer the point. And so there's a, the last scene, which I described where, um, Lenny is giving this address and he has a health issue. Um, 
He's giving this address to a crowd of people who are just waiting to see him because at this point he's hid his face for a long, long time. And then when he did finally reveal himself, it was a disaster in in his address. So this last this last scene, he's he's in Rome, he's addressing people and it's a crowd of folks who are just ready to hear him. There's a little bit of fanaticism like the the kind of bubblings of, of of fanaticism, but more so it's just a bunch of devoted Catholics who have uh, assembled to hear him. And he's giving his address and he gives an address and it's beautiful and folks clap and they're really excited to hear from him. And in a moment, the crowd is very still and Lenny is looking around and actually I'm calling him Lenny, but he's his, his, papal title is Pius the 13th. Um, and from what I gather, you know, popes, when they are selected by the conclave of cardinals um, from across the globe, they choose a name that will basically um, sum up their policy as pope, who they're going to be as pope. And so Pius the 13th is is who Lenny chooses to be called. And so as Pius the 13th, he's giving this address and he finishes and the crowd is silent. They're not angry. They're with him. They're not saying anything in this weird way that uh, the director has chosen to freeze this moment to illustrate the point where uh, Pius is looking through the crowd and he in fact does land, his eyes land on this woman and this man who appeared to be the image of an older version of Lenny, uh, Pius's parents. And they look and they don't have a, they don't have joy. They don't have pride on their face. They just have this expression of, I just wanted to see, you kind of get the sense that they just wanted to see if this was our son. Um, and what he's become and if he really is Pope. And then they turn around and leave in the sea of people who are staring, waiting for Lenny to say, or to Pius to say something else. These two people leave. And it's in that moment that there's a, there's a slight recognition and Pius is joyous and you hear crowds cheering and then Pius faints. And this is some bad acting, but so uh, Pius is laying down and everybody's like, oh, oh, oh. And he's, they're cradling his head and his eyes are rolling back in his head, but it's like a little dramatic because it's like, you know how you fake like you're passing out and you know, like, oh, I passed out and your eyes are rolled back in your head, but you're trying to keep them closed because you're actually not passed out. And it's actually hard to roll your eyes up and not have your eyes pop open. It's hard. Try it. If you try it right now, like I'm trying it right now, and you can roll your eyes up in your head, but there's a certain point where you're going to, your eyes are going to want to, your eyelids are going to want to open. And so this is what's happening in this last scene, which is why I think it's a little cheesy. But anyway, so we are to assume that, there, that Lenny has had some sort of health issue. Um, and his health has been a running theme throughout, had been a running theme throughout the first season, the Pope. Um, was it the Pope? No, the young Pope. I'm, I think I'm calling this thing the wrong thing. It's the young Pope. 
not the Pope, but the young Pope is what the first season was called. I've been messing up. Anyway, um, so, so yeah, it was a running theme that he was like in his 40s, but he, he felt and acted as if he was much older um, than that. And it was because he was in poor health, even though he exercised every day. He drank Diet Coke Zero um, for breakfast instead of eating food and smoked a lot. So that contributed to his health issues, his, his, him being in poor health. And so, again, he has a health issue at the end. And we're kind of left with this beautiful cutaway scene where we're zooming out. And we zoom out from the square that, that he's giving his address where he's now passed out. To seeing um, the entire place where he's, uh, the island that he's on, and the beautiful blue water, and the boats that are in the in the water, and then you zoom all the way out, and then you see the country of Italy and um, surrounding countries in Europe, and then you begin to see um, northern countries in Africa, and you zoom out again, and you see the entire globe, and you know. Again, you see Europe, Asia, um, Australia, the um, parts of North America, South America, obviously the continents of Africa and Australia. And uh, you see the whole globe, right? North and South, uh, Antarctica and South Arctica. No, wait. South Arctica, Antarctica and the North Pole. Anyway, and so that's how it ends. And so season two so again if season one was about Lenny Bellardo becoming Pius the 13th and everything that that means season one is very much about idolatry and fanaticism more so fanaticism and what happens when the Pope that you chose the one that you were becoming accustomed to that you really put you began to put a lot of trust and hope in Oh, excuse me. This leader that you put a lot of hope and trust in is no longer available to you, no longer accessible to you. And who has who Yeah, it's it's about it's about fanaticism and who basically owns fanaticism. Is fanaticism owned by anyone or can anybody be a fanatic for any reason especially in religion and in this context it's it's about catholic fanaticism um and really exploring that um which i imagine is a fine line in the catholic in the catholic church because again when i tell you that this this show is a bit irreverent and a little sacrilegious what i'm saying is it's taking sacred practices that are held very dearly in Catholicism and kind of laying them, well, how can, again, this is me talking as a Christian, but not a Catholic. Um, I'm, I'm talking about this as a Christian, but not a Catholic. So there's a lot that I'm not going to understand that I there's a lot of concepts that I know I don't understand that I'm going to try to steer clear of because I don't want to sound like a fool. Um, but it seems to me that this show, I imagine, would anger a lot of people because it talks about the real thing of fanaticism and taking a, a form of worship and kind of twisting it 
so that you can make this thing impossible. It, it, it becomes a little impossible. Like, for instance, um, there is uh, Lenny Bellardo, when you, uh, excuse me, Pius the 13th, what we come to know is he had a heart attack. And in the very opening scene of the very first episode, we come to understand that he's had several heart transplants and none of them have taken. So he is in a coma, a medically induced coma. Um, and he has been for months with no movement, no, no movement beyond the bare minimum. So he's just, he's in this constant state of sleep. And so you have this Pope who is in a coma. What in the world do you do? Is he going to come out of it? Do we just pray really hard and, and come out of it? Or will we eventually take him out of this medically induced coma and see if he survives or not. The prognosis is not very good. There's already, his attending physician has said, he's not going to come out of this coma. If we take him out of this coma, he will die. This is it. Um, Pius XIII is essentially dead. Living dead. And so there begins to be this crowd of people. Uh, and and well, let me back up a bit. So remember how I told you he gave his opening, he gave this address in this particular place. And and again, I'm not, I am not familiar with um, traditional or popular um, speaking places for the Pope. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm sure that this place where in the show Pius XIII gives his last address to the people I'm sure it's a famous place. I'm sure it's a well-known place. I just don't know it. Um, Anyway, so the same place where he gives his address and then he has his medical issue is the same place, I believe, that he's being held um, in this medically induced coma where he's convalescing. Well, where they want him to convalesce, but he's just in a coma. Anyway, so there begins to be this crowd of people who assemble outside in the courtyard uh, of this building and are praying for his swift, um, for him to wake up and his, and his swift return, speedy recovery and swift return to his duties as Pope Pius the 13th. And so it's, this is the beginning of fanaticism. And let me just go through real quick, the players. Um, so everybody remembers Voyello. I'm sure you remember Vallejo at this point, Um, but he is the Secretariat of State, which is basically, so if the Pope is the figurehead who does all of the the talking and um, is the face of the church, the Catholic Church, the Secretary of State is like, how can I put it? It's the, the, so the Secretary of State is the Secretary of State, not Secretariat. The Secretary of State kind of runs the business. Yeah, so the Secretary of State kind of runs the does runs the business of the Catholic Church, um, oversees the finances, oversees the bishops, makes sure that the nuns that are attached that that are uh, supporting the um, the Vatican. And the bishop, the cardinals, um, 
you know, that they're supported and they have what they need and that the bishops that oversee um, Catholic church churches in certain areas have what they need to, right? So Voyello has a lot of power. Um, if you recall in the first season, if you watched it, Voyello initially wanted to set it up so that the conclave, which again is this big voting body of bishops who that is a lack of a better term as a certain level of leadership um in the catholic church it's a high level um about the highest you can be before you become pope and in fact the the conclave this big collection of cardinals is who popes are chosen from and um some bishops are stationed in Rome and serve in Rome. And so Voyello is a bishop and he is stationed in Rome. He serves out of Rome and runs the business as secretary of state. It uh, is the right-hand man of the Pope and runs a lot of the business. Um, so anyway, so Voyello initially jockeys to become Pope himself in the first season, but it never quite, he never quite get make fetch, fetch happen. Um, that was a bad reference. Anyway, he can never quite get there. So he instead tries to choose someone who he can manipulate, which is where Lenny comes in in the first place. Um, he thinks he can manipulate this young Pope who many people have never heard of. And obviously he doesn't know anything. But again, Lenny Bellardo as Pope Pius Thirteenth really gives Royello a run for his money. And they end up being very good um, allies together. But anyway, so season two opens up and again, Voyello is like, oh my goodness, this could be my chance to be Pope again. Um, but instead of him having a lot of, uh, votes to be Pope, um, his rival who, his rival that looks just like him, uh, Cardinal for, oh, I'm saying bishops, but they're Cardinals, 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 I guess cardinals are chosen. Cardinals can be chosen to be pope, not bishops. Bishops is like a bishop is a rung underneath cardinal, I guess. I don't know. Look it up. Anyway, cardinals can be chosen. So Gucci, uh, um, uh, Voyello is a cardinal. Cardinal Voyello. Um, and let me actually go through the players. So there's there's Cardinal Voyello, there's uh, Cardinal Gutierrez. So Cardinal Voyello, excuse me, Cardinal Voyello is Secretary of State and he's very powerful. Then then um, there's Cardinal Gutierrez, who is Latinx. I forgot in what country he's supposed to be from, but he's Latinx. And he's more so of the spiritual confidant of the Pope. And in the first season, Pius XIII chooses Cardinal um, Gutierrez, even though he has a drinking problem, um, chooses Cardinal Gutierrez to um, deal with the uh, child abuse scandals that are that are rocking um, the United States, uh, the the parishes in the United States. So, um, so he has a really big role to play. And then, of course, you know, even though he has a drinking problem. Um, Pius XIII really relies on him because he's one of the few people that he could actually trust in the Vatican um, to actually 
do what is right, do do the, the right thing. So in season two, of course, um, Gutierrez is a key figure. But anyway, going back to Voyello, trying to jockey to be uh, Pope himself, be elected Pope himself. Um, there's He has a rival who every time they draw votes to elect a cardinal or to elect a bishop among the cardinals, not a bishop, shoot, the Pope among the next, <laughs> let me, let me start over. Every time they draw ballots to elect the person who will become Pope among these Cardinals, he has another Cardinal gets a lot of votes with him. And this person is Cardinal Hernandez, who's supposed to be Latinx as well. Um, and the interesting thing is he's a spitting image of Voyello. Cardinal, Cardinal Hernandez is a spitting image of Voyello. Um, and so, but that's supposed to be a running joke. But I guess my point is, I'm not going to go into much more detail in this episode because I'm certainly not going to go through each of the nine episodes in great detail. But what I will say is, so there's this push and pull and Voyello knows that he's not going to be elected, but he certainly doesn't want um, his rival, Cardinal Hernandez, to be elected. So they, he gets his group of folks together and decides that we've got to find someone who's a centrist centrist um who we can again manipulate like we thought we could manipulate Bellardo. um but anyway and the reason let me back up the reason why they're choosing a new pope even when Lenny Bellardo isn't dead is because they don't want people to begin to worship uh Pius the 13th which is becoming the case um in that square where he's resting outside of the building where he's resting there become catholics devoted catholics who are sleeping in the square and waking up staring at the building this is one particular person who is the leader of this thing and she's scary looking for lack of a better term anyway. So like I said, this is the beginning. Uh, they're, they're trying to quell this uprising, this, this, um, yeah, there's basically uprising of folks who want this miracle to happen. They want Lenny, they want Pius the 13th to just wake up um, and go back to being a uh, Pope. And they're actually mad that, um, the cardinals are going forward and trying to choose a new pope. And so, but but again, um, I can't remember if I said this or not, but Lenny, uh, not Lenny, um, Voyello has been convinced that the only way that they're going to be able to quieten these people down who are outside of Lenny's window is to elect a new pope. And since they're faithful, devoted um, Catholics, they will have no choice but to support this new pope. And so that's why they're choosing a new pope. And so anyway, so again, Voyello does not want Hernandez to be chosen. Um, so somehow or another, I can't remember how, but they decide that they're going to choose another quote unquote Patsy. This person that um, is supposed to be pliable and mild mannered and all of this stuff. And they they land on this particular cardinal who, if you recall in the very first season, um, the young pope 
Lenny Bellardo at one point takes this person to a group and his name is Vigiletti. Vig, wait, Viglietti, Viglietti, Cardinal Viglietti. Um, he takes him to the roof of this particular part of the Vatican and they're staring off into space and it's nighttime. And he says that he doesn't, that, that, uh, Lenny as Pius the 13th, that he doesn't believe in God. He's lost his faith in that moment. And so Viglietti is like scared of him and doesn't and it's just like I can't believe this and and so they have this weird relationship where um Pius confesses to Viglietti does his confessional to Viglietti tells him some dastardly things and Viglietti just like has all this stuff behind him and 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 you can or he has this all this stuff on um Pius the 13th and you can tell that Viglietti is um he's troubled He's troubled by this new Pope, but he's also a devout Catholic and he wants to do his service. And so he's just kind of toeing the line. He grows an affection for Pius XIII, but like he's still very much a different type of Catholic in that he's more um, fundamental, not fundamental. Well, a fundamentalist is, I guess, the best way to describe it. Or he's a very, he's more pious than Pius XIII. I would say that. Um, and anyway, so this is the, this is the cardinal that they choose. Um, the, the person that, uh, Pius XIII initially said he didn't believe in God or he'd lost his faith too. So they choose Viglietti to become Pope and honey, they should have known right away that it was about to be some trouble because his chosen name to be as Pope is Francis of Assisi, of Assisi. Ooh, I'm sorry. Of Assisi. Um, and St. Francis, um, I guess he's Francis the second, Pope Francis the second, Francis the first of Assisi, um, Viglietti is, a, is, is basically a devout follower, follower of Francis of Assisi, who was a very pious man who turned away all, turned over all his wealth and, 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 and tried to get other people to turn over their wealth to the church. Ooh. Excuse me, for the purpose of, I hope that that's the last yawn, I apologize, for the purpose of supporting the poor. And so they, he lived a very humble life. And so Viglietti chooses to be called as Pope Francis II. And honey, transformations happen instantly. So he instantly removes Voyello's power, takes his power from him. Um, turns over all the Vatican's coffers and begins to uh, just send a lot of the money away and gives it to the poor and then opens up the Vatican to um, to house refugees from warring countries and things like that. Um, and people hate it. He makes he makes uh, he and his, I guess, followers um, make all of the cardinals give away all their finery their beautiful jewels and all of that stuff and uh yeah uh so when i say that he takes voyello's power away he literally does he's no longer secretary of state and he also stops him from being a cardinal altogether um defroxim yeah yeah i think that's the term defroxim um yeah and so he's going he's going wild um basically and 
according to Voyello and all of his people, basically, um, he's making it so that they don't, they stop all that excess that they've been living under. Um, and, and again, he takes all their finery and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, but naturally when you take someone's creature comforts, what happens? Um, a lot of friction happens and Francis, uh, Francis the second, uh, Viglietti dies as Pope. Mysteriously, what we know is that someone killed him, um, or he he has an apparent what is it a heart attack? He has a heart attack, but we feel very strongly that somebody killed him. So I said that was going to be the last <laughs> yawn. So whatever. Um. So yeah. So. It's implied that Voyello's goon, um, this guy who is Voyello's goon, basically, um, has orchestrated somehow um, Francis II's a heart attack. But anyway, he's dead. And there's no proof that Voyello had anything to do with it. Um, so we're back trying to find a new pope. And so, you know that's kind of how the first episode ends. And, and again, first episode ends and, uh, Pius Thirteenth is still in a coma. He's not dead. He's still in a coma. And so we move on and, um, I guess the other thing, let, let me just pull it out. So Cardinal Voyello, let, let me just pull out all the, the main characters that I'm going to be talking about. So, or do I want to go that deep? Okay, so long story short, John Malkovich is in this, the second episode, the second season. And the reason why I'm going to pull him up is because blah, 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 his name came up in the first time when they were pulling, when they were trying to figure out who is going to be the new Pope. Um, but he didn't get enough votes. Um, he was chosen and people were like, who in the heck is this guy? And in the, in the show, Mike, John Malkovich's name is, um, what's that man's name? Brennan, John Brennan. And he's supposed to be this aristocrat, this English aristocrat, um, who is also a cardinal. But he never comes to the conclave. He never leaves his mansion. Anyway, this is there's a whole thing. Like, he's very eccentric and all of that stuff. So... In the second conclave, they, they, before they begin to vote, they want to go to, um, they want to go to, um, Branix and get him to agree to take the papal ship should he be voted in by the car- the College of Cardinals. Um, anyway, and there's this whole thing about showing his life and how cool or how eccentric he is they style John Malkovich very beautifully as John Brannix very beautifully and also I am not an English person but John Malkovich's English accent to me fools me I have not been around a ton of English accented English born people I've mostly heard of it I've heard English accented people in the United States, but, but it's like, by the time I'm paying attention to their, um, by the time I'm paying attention to their accent, it seems 
they've picked up some American influx influxes, right? So really when I'm hearing English accents, it's either in TV, like film and media, um, or in person, but in person, it feels like I'm hearing a person who's lived in the United States for a couple of years, so long that they can begin to take on some of the phrasings or begin to phrase things a little bit more, um, like the people they've lived around for so long. So, um, I, I am not the arbiter of what an English accent is, especially I know that just like American accents, they can be different depending on where you're from. But his accent fooled me. It sounded pretty good to me. Um, I barely heard him slip at all into his, I heard, I heard some exaggerations. I take that back. I heard him exaggerate a couple of times to make sure to overcorrect his want to say a phrase or say a vowel the way that he would in his American accent. Just like you, we've heard, we hear, we heard in the first season, um, Jude Law overcorrect himself sometimes to say a vowel or his R's um, like someone from the Boston area or New England would say their R's um, just so that he wouldn't, his, his accent wouldn't slip. Um, anyway, so blah, blah, blah. There's this whole push and pull. They style John Malkovich very beautifully as John Brennix. And they, uh, Voyello, Sophia, who is basically, if you remember Sophia, she's like the communication director. Um, Gutierrez is there because Gutierrez is always there. Asante, who is real quiet. And we later find out that Asante, uh, Cardinal Asante has this, or Asante, that's eh, probably Asante, um, has this affection for Gutierrez and he really wants to be with Gutierrez. But Gutierrez is too pure and doesn't want to ruin their relationship. And so later we learn that Asante becomes bitter um, towards Gutierrez and just generally a little, a bitter man. And so anyway, they travel and convince um, John Brennex as played by uh, John Malkovich to become, to accept the papal ship should he be elected. And they, it's real clean how they do it too. Cause they trick this man um, into accepting um the role as Pope should he be elected, which they're going to manufacture it so that he is elected. And of course he becomes the new Pope. And so uh, in this season, again, it's less about the new Pope and more about how are they controlling the fact that they still have the old Pope alive. He's in limbo in terms of he's in a coma Um, But he's still alive. He's not dead. How in the world do you have two popes? Well, you, you, yeah, how can you have two popes? Well, you elect a new pope and then you never talk about the old one again. The one in the coma, you don't talk about him. Meanwhile, you try to figure out a way to quieten down these people who are fanatics, who are trying to pray for the, the old pope to wake up. Um... And so anyway, so we have this going on. And then in this weird way, at least I thought it was weird. The show introduces this Muslim cleric who is a fundamentalist. And he's talking about how he hates Catholics and he hates Christians and he wants them to all die. And 
they stop doing that very they introduce this guy in the very first episode and then as you you move on you just keep hearing you keep seeing him he's like a looming figure and so you know again if i told you that um saint francis ii moved in a bunch of refugees um who were fleeing poor terrible circumstances in their countries uh, many of those refugees when he was had the papal ship um and was alive were um from the um from south asian countries from asian countries um and so you know there's this push and pull that you've got this cleric who's saying some terrible stuff about hating catholics meanwhile back at the ranch you've got these catholics who are supporting um and sheltering south asian people and you know I don't know what the show was trying to do other than trying to make it seem like despite this hatred coming from this cleric that or I don't know if he's a cleric. I just think he's this fanatic Muslim person who's trying to radicalize people in much the same way that if we're being honest, as with the show is going on in much the same way that this group of people who are standing outside of, of Pius the 13th window in that courtyard are fanatics and it's like as this muslim figurehead is ramping up his rhetoric rhetoric and saying more hateful damning things against christians um what you don't notice until you take a step back and as you're paying attention what you don't notice is that the catholics these catholics that are standing in the courtyard for pious they're actually ramping up their actions too they're becoming more feverish um and more desperate and there's this desperate situation that comes up and again so uh Brannix's pope and what is his what is his i think he's john paul iii yeah Brannix takes on the, the role of john paul iii because he really admires the centrist way of of being that john paul ii had um so anyway so He's a centrist and he's still a little eccentric and they talk about him being eccentric and there's this underpinning of uh, there's this story about him having a twin and not really understanding what happened to his twin and we don't really know what happened to his twin and why he's so tortured because again uh John Malkovich is John Brennex who becomes um John Paul III is a very, we get the sense that he's a very tortured person, but we don't know why. He has a strained relationship with his parents. They do not want to talk to him and they don't, we don't know why. Um, he carries around this box. He even comes to the Vatican as Pope and still has this box that his servant really wanted him to leave behind. And we don't know what the heck this box is. Uh, but at the end, we figure out what the heck the box is. Anyway, um, so anyway, John Brennick says John Paul III is this very centrist, eccentric pope who says a lot of the right things, who's more tempered um, than Pius XIII was when he was up and mobile. Um, and he's coming into his own and he's struggling with his love relationship, trying to keep things professional between himself and um, Sophia, who is the communications head of communications for the Vatican. Anyway, so blah, blah, blah. There's this plot point where uh, Brannix is trying to, uh, people are trying to blackmail 
John Paul III because duh, there's always some sort of blackmail and subterfuge happening. Um, and in this instance, the person that's part of the blackmail happens to be Sophia's husband. Um, so there's that storyline, and it's clear that Sophia and John Paul III are attracted to each other. Um, but they try to they you know there's this push and pull, and they're trying to keep it they're trying to keep it professional and blah blah blah. So, but we come back. Meanwhile, we are reintroduced to Esther for a very reason. Now, if you remember Esther in the first season, there are a lot. Let me just take a take a pause. For as many times as they try to stick a brown person in this show, there's just a ton of uh, spicy white people uh, with uh, accents, and they're supposed to have these interesting stories. And lots of Italians, which, duh, they're in Italy. But it's just interesting how little diversity they try to have in this. <laughs> but but at the same time, sprinkle in diversity. And, and, and I guess the diversity just only the diversity that they sprinkle in only reminds you of how not diverse the show is. Um, yeah. And it's so interesting because the fact that one of the largest Catholic populations in the globe is a brown country in South America, it's South, South America has, I believe the largest population of Catholics in the globe. Yet everybody that you see, most of the people that you see are not South American at all. Um, and not even Brown, Brown, like there are a few people that are Brown, but like even Gutierrez is white presenting. Um, I love his character. I love I love his character, but he's still white presenting. Um, even again, they have nuns that are around them, and there's certainly, by the way, there's a plot point about nuns wanting better treatment, um, and it starts with this one particular nun wanting to go to see her mother who's dying, and they deny her. They deny her the right to do that. Um, some of the cardinals, which including Voyello. Um, which is a sad, pitiful state. And so there's this whole side story where the nuns are, um, they're on strike. Um, anyway, even among the nuns there, it's like there are brown nuns. There are nuns from, uh, India. There are nuns from, um, Africa, the African continent. Um, you know, there are brown nuns, but there aren't enough of them. And it's so bizarre, just like there are brown cardinals from same places. There just aren't enough of them. Asian, um, in the Asian diaspora, it's just, it's just weird how HBO is just funny in that you could tell they don't have a lot of people of color in leadership positions. You can just tell, you can just tell by the way that they, they put people of color in shows. Either the shows are predominantly people of color or they're sprinkled in. It's, it's either, or it's not. There is no mix. So anyway, um, but going back to, you know, where was I? So, yeah, so Brannox as John Paul III um, is in leadership and he's trying to figure his way. And he's a he's saying a, a lot of the right things. Um, he's being very human. But at the same time, he's 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 yeah, he's humanizing the pope. Um, in a way that is real. He's not making the Pope this fantasy person, but a real person that is trying to deal with real world, sir, real world situations um, like the fact that there's this 
Muslim leader who's saying some very inflammatory things against the Catholic Church. And he's trying to, again, choose a centrist way to try to address this person. So not incite violence against Muslim believers because they're Muslim believers, because that's certainly what this this fanatic wants. And, and certainly that's what a lot of fanatics do want as a way to try to prove their right, I guess. So anyway, or at least that's what this show is is positing, um, that there isn't a difference between fanatics. And even as we barrel toward the end um, and there's this crisis where, I mean, it's not a crisis for us, but it's certainly a crisis for the Pope, the sitting Pope, John, John Paul III, where Pius begins to show life movements. His fingers are moving. He's making sounds and breathing. And this is just only attracting more attention, which is only attracting more fanatics. And, oh, that's what I was saying. I I totally forgot. I was going to talk about Esther. There's this pitiful storyline with Esther who um, uh, Pius XIII prayed for to become pregnant. Um, and she becomes pregnant. And then something happens to her husband. I think he either dies or he leaves her. Anyway, she's becoming this sad shell of a woman who doesn't have a lot of agency on her own. And so she's taken advantage of and she's used sexually. And so she becomes more radicalized. There's a certain point where she becomes radicalized. And so bloop, blah, blip. I'm going too slow. Anyway, Pius XIII wakes up. He wakes up and John uh, Brannox as Pius, as John Paul III kind of freaks out and he keeps barreling towards crumbling and he has a drug addiction. We learn that he has a drug addiction. And the reason why he continues to have a drug addiction into even until now is because there was a point where he was skiing with his twin brother and his twin brother had a very bad fall. And he was so blitzed off of whatever drug he was taking that he could not muster the strength to get his brother to safety. And so he died. And so it was at that point where his parents started to hate him and stopped talking to him and all of that. So there's this point where, you know, Pius XIII, he, again, he wakes up and he comes into his own. And again, they're showing him off, showing off Jude Law as being so beautiful. And there's even a point where he's walking on the beach with this white, this white um, uh, bathing bot suit bottom on, swim trunks on, and they're glowing. They're so white. And anyway, it's it's a little weird and a little, again, a little irreverent. Um, but anyway, so blah, 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 blah. There's this, again, these fanatics, the fanatics disappear from the, this, this, where they've been holding vigil because there's no more he, Pope Pius the 13th is gone. And then blah, blah, blah. The fanatics raise the level again, uh, that they ratcheted up, um, their activities and, there's this priest and these kids who are taken hostage in this particular village. And at first it is blamed on this uh, radical Muslim leader. Who's been saying all these nasty things about Christians. Um, they blame it on him. Come to find out he sends his emissary and they're like, it's not us. We done with Europe. We're not messing with y'all. It's not us. I can't tell you who it is. Cause we don't know, but it's not us. Long story short, it's the same Catholics who were fanatics who were host standing vigil 
over Pius XIII when he was still in his coma, medically induced coma, come to find out one of the people who's a part of this fanatic group who's taken this priest and children hostage and now they've killed the priest is Esther. And so anyway, Brannex uses this opportunity to stop being Pope um, and leave the papal ship by pushing Pius XIII back out there. Lenny Bilardo is Pius XIII back out there um, to take over the papal ship. And it's nine episodes, but it happens. And girl, what happens when Lenny does this address? It's presumed that he has another heart attack and he dies. So who should take over the papal ship again? Da-da-da, Voyello. Voyello is Pope. So he finally gets in the second season, he finally becomes Pope. Um, and it's like... <sighs> Sophia is with Braddock's because Sophia leaves her husband. Um, and there's a whole storyline about what happened to her husband. I think he goes to jail. Um, so Sophia and Brennix live out their lives together, blah, blah, blah. We don't know what happens to Gutierrez. We don't think he goes back to drinking, but anyway, Lenny is dead. Um, and Voyello is now Pope finally. And so it's a good, it's good. You should watch it. It was interesting to me. Um, but yeah, it's talked about fanaticism in a really interesting way. So, so yeah, you should watch it anyway. I've rambled long enough. Anyway. So, yeah, the show was good. And apparently um, me being me working from home um, has turned me into a very talkative person, more talkative than usual. So I apologize for the length of this episode, um, because why is it this long and it's just me? Anyway, um, so blah, blah, blah. I finished that show. Um, and I'm sorry if it felt rushed, but number one, I felt like I was talking too long. And number two, um, the show is interesting, but it also kind of drags a little bit. It's like it's nine episodes, but like sometimes it feels like it took a minute to get there. And I'm like, how did it feel like it took this long? And it's only nine episodes. It's because, uh, Sorrentino wanted to be dramatic, I guess, but that's his style. Um, it's not boring, but it's just, it's, sometimes it takes a while to get, get where it's going. So, you know, put that on your quarantine, your quarantine, what, what to watch during quarantine list. Um, so now it's off to figure out what else I'm going to watch. I am not going to circle back around to on my block. I'm just not going to be able to do it. Um, but I'm going to figure out if there's another competition show that I'm missing out on. Maybe another season of Project Runway. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Um, also, it could be true crime. I'm listening to this podcast about the it's the it's called the 11th. And it's about this prime minister of Australia who was ousted and the circumstance under which he was ousted. It was like around the 70s or some junk like that. And, you know, everybody's government was doing some foolish stuff in the 70s. So I'm needless to say, my interest is peaked. Um, so, yeah. So we'll see if I end up talking about that story or some other true crime or maybe maybe I'll watch something sci fi or read something interesting. Um, anyway, so yeah, that is it for now. Thank you so much for listening. 
Um, really appreciate you sharing this episode or any episode you think will be interesting with your friends and family group or your family and your friend group, whatever. Um, and also giving favorable ratings on all the platforms, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Google Play, Spotify, um, Apple Music or Apple, whatever, um, all the places. Um, yeah, leaving favorable ratings there. Again, that's how you help um, spread the reach of this show. Obviously, with the algorithm, certainly, rec- um, you know, ratings is what gets folks noticed. This is a hobby that I do. I'm not making any real money off of this thing. I just enjoy doing it. Um, so if you enjoy listening occasionally to some of my episodes, certainly not every episode is for you. Um, but if you do enjoy watching some or listening to some of the episodes, um, just leave me a favorable rating. Okay. Um, also, if you have a show or if you have something you want to talk about or whatever, um, send me a message. I'd love to chat about it. Um, Cause why not? Anyway, That is it for now. Thank you so, so much for listening. Until next time.